0: Hail and well met. I'm guessing you're wanting shelter from the storm, right? Well, it is a cold night out there. Why don't you pull up a chair by the fire? I have just the thing to pass the time, a story. I call it the Unlucky Gambler. Welcome to the Lavender Tavern, my friend.
1: In a city that stood on a hill by the sea, every child born was given a pair of dice. When the doctors had delivered the baby, red and crying, and cleaned it and cut the cord connecting it to its mother, one of the soothsayers would come in with a bowl of dice. The bowl was a creamy quartz that gleamed and shone. Some said that it dated from before the city. But nobody knew where the soothsayers had found it, and they would never say. Inside the bowl were hundreds of dice. Blue, yellow, opaque, cloudy, hazy, clear, shiny, and dull. All the same size, small enough to fit into a baby's closed fist. There were two dice of each kind, always. The soothsayer would go over to the baby and hold its tiny hand gently, moving the thumb and middle finger together as if the baby was snapping its miniature fingers. Then, two of the dice would fly out of the bowl and into the baby's hands. And so, the dice would have been chosen. Nobody knew why a baby chose a certain pair of dice. There was no way to exchange them with another set in the bowl. Once a baby had chosen a pair of dice, those dice were with them for the rest of their life. Some dice were lucky, and some were unlucky. Lucky was not a word that was used in the city, however. It was considered bad form to discuss whether one was lucky or unlucky, for the dice determined the outcome of every choice that a citizen made. If someone wanted to propose marriage, they rolled their dice to see if they were successful. If they wanted to buy property, or barter a goat, or apprentice as a blacksmith, the dice would tell the tale. And once the dice were thrown for a particular decision, they could not be thrown again. Those with lucky dice lived good lives, and those with unlucky dice did not. But nobody spoke of luck. Because everyone had the same chance to pick a lucky set of dice. Some had to get unlucky dice, and that was that. And so, it came to pass that on a day of a tremendous thunderstorm in the city, a baby named Anders was born. Anders' parents had barely made it to the hospital in time. Their car had broken down, and then their best friend wasn't available to take them, and finally, They were able to hail a taxi, but it stalled in traffic until some good souls helped push it and start it up again. Anders' mother lay in the bed, sweating and cursing, while his father pretended he knew what to do, and let his wife squeeze and squeeze his hand. The soothsayer was late. Anders had already been born and screamed and cried red-faced by the time the soothsayer arrived. "'Apologies!' the soothsayer said, hefting the milky bowl in front of them. "'I was nearly in an accident!' He need not have said anything. Anders's mother was glowing, and Anders's father looked as if he had given birth instead of her. "'The soothsayer approached the bed and lifted Anders's tiny right hand. "'In the name of fortune,' he said, gently moving the thumb and middle finger. "'The bowl stirred, and dice clacked. "'After a much longer period than usual, "'a pair of dice flew out of the bowl and into Anders's right hand. "'They were an odd smoky red color that the soothsayer had never seen before.' This, however, he kept from Anders' parents, since a donation was expected after a choosing of the dice, and any suggestion that the dice were less than lucky could result in stinginess. "'Are they good dice?' Anders' mother whispered. "'All will be revealed in time!' replied the soothsayer. This was a standard reply. "'And all was revealed.' Five years later, once Anders was old enough to throw his dice, Anders was fascinated with his parents' dice. He loved watching them fly through the air into their hands, the way they sparkled and spun, and especially the expressions on their faces when they saw the rolls. His mother had a set of jade dice with white dots, while his father's dice were a zigzag black-and-white pattern with red dots. Anders would crawl through the main room after the dice, trying to catch them, but they always wriggled out of his reach and into their owners' hands. "'Enough, Anders!' his father would admonish. "'Wait until you can roll your own dice!' Anders's parents had roughly the same amount of luck. This was one of the reasons, if not the main reason, that they were together. A marriage where one was lucky and one was unlucky was bound to fail. Being of medium luck, Anders' parents had similar occupations in the local government. His father would joke that had he been any less lucky, he never would have met his mother. And she would reply that had she been luckier, she still would have met him. When Anders turned five, the soothsayer came to his school to do the tables for him and the other children his age. This was a different soothsayer from the one who had helped Anders choose his dice as a baby in the hospital. Some whispered that the original soothsayer had been researching unusual dice and then had decided to leave the city in a hurry. But none of this could be confirmed. The tables were a booklet of papers for each student. When it came for Anders' turn... The soothsayer looked at the smoky red dice with a raised eyebrow. This test will evaluate your dice for suitability of purpose, the soothsayer suit recited. Suitability of purpose was the current euphemism for luck. Anders nodded and started tossing the dice. After each roll, the soothsayer would make a mark in the booklet. Then Anders would snap his fingers, retrieve the dice, and roll again. They started in the morning and it wore on into the afternoon. Although Anders was fascinated by dice, he thought that he would not want to see another dice roll after they were done. Anders had a friend in school named Callow, who was the same age, and after they had rolled and rolled, they stood around awkwardly and tried not to talk about luck. Some of the boys were boasting about what they thought their scores would be, but Callow said, I'll be happy with whatever I get. ''Do you really mean that?'' Anders asked. ''No,'' Callow said. ''I want to be happy. You need good dice to be happy.'' Anders nodded. After he had said goodbye to Callow, he thought about it all the way home. Good dice and a good job. Would he do better than his parents? Live in a better part of town? Have two children instead of one?'' The soothsayer was already at his house when he arrived, and his parents were home from work. Anders knew then that he was not going to be getting a good job, and he was not going to be living in a better part of town than his parents. We will do everything to give you a vocation that suits your special abilities, the soothsayer was saying. Everything the soothsayer said sounded as if it was being recited from a manual which it probably was. His mother looked panicked, and his father tried to look brave. When the soothsayer had gone, Anders sat on the back stoop and tossed his smoky red dice repeatedly. Two ones, over and over again. Callow, now a tall and dark young man, had done well. He was able to take accelerated courses, enrichment programs, after school hobbies, and school trips. When they graduated from high school, he went into the trains as an apprentice glassmaker. We'll stay in touch, won't we? he asked Anders breathlessly after their graduation ceremony, pressing his palm to Anders's as if he wanted to convince himself of it. Of course, Anders said. Maybe some of your fortune will rub off on me. "'Superstition,' Callow smiled weakly. "'Maybe some of your kindness will rub off on me.' Anders was to be a janitor. He could still live with his parents until he was 21, and he tried to stay out of their way. If he spent time with them, it always seemed that the dinner was burnt, the radio was full of static, and the socks would disappear from the laundry. Anders worked at a local factory, sweeping and mopping after hours." The work was quiet and satisfying somehow, pushing the broom and mop and sawdust from one end of the hallway to the other end. I'm doing something useful, he wrote on a postcard to Callow, who was on a trip to another city to learn their glass blowing secrets. Everything is fine. Everything was fine until one of the valves somehow opened when Anders cleaned it and poured thousands of gallons of water into the delicate gears of the factory. Nobody blamed Anders. How could they? But the factory was to be closed for repairs for months, so it made sense that he find another occupation. The suit's reviewed the tables and stabbed his finger at the yellowed paper from the booklet he had filled out thirteen years previously. Of course, he said. I must have made a mistake. Anders was to be a sanitation worker. His fellow sanitation workers told him that he would get used to the smell of fresh garbage, and in fact, his nose did start to disregard the smell of rotting food and discarded socks. His parents, however, would wrinkle up their noses when he came home from work at the end of a long, aromatic shift, and so he decided to move out. The apartment he rented in the Lowtown district leaked, and it seemed to rain very often, But it was his, at least when the local cats were not finding their way in to eat his food. He burned incense every night to chase the garbage smell away, and lay in bed reading stories about men and women whose dice throws saved the world. There were no stories about men and women who transcended their lot in life by becoming luckier or more fortunate. Such a thing was impossible. One day... Anders picked up a pile of garbage that contained a lit cigarette without noticing. The cigarette smoldered in the garbage truck until he arrived back at the depot and dumped his load. Then it came into contact with some oily rags and burst into flame. By then, Anders was already on his way home, whistling and trying to fix his broken umbrella. By the time Anders arrived home in the rain, the garbage depot had been consumed by flames that were surprisingly difficult for the fire department to extinguish. Could it be? the soothsayer wondered. Could there be someone so unlucky, so without fortune, that they could not be given a proper occupation? While the factory was being pumped dry and the garbage station was being rebuilt, Anders took up several crafts. The kite he made landed in the sewer and the candles he poured melted in an oddly lopsided way, but he was happy. He was less happy with the lack of income and the persistent suggestion by his landlord that rent should be paid. Callow had returned from his inter-city junket and was now becoming a celebrated glassblower. He sent a glass swan to Anders as a gift, all black curves and swirls, but one of the neighborhood cats knocked it over in a search of the tuna Anders had hidden in the back of his pantry. "'Can I come visit?' Callow sent via wireless message. "'It's been ages.' Anders did his best to glue the pieces of the swan back together, but Callow did not care, sweeping Anders into a hug. Anders watched him take in the shabby apartment. Suddenly, Anders saw the apartment from Callow's eyes. Callow was dressed finely, and he walked with an air of... sophistication. He had rolled well, of course. "'Let me take you to dinner,' Callow said. "'I'll make reservations.' when he called the restaurant and rolled his dice, hazy purple with yellow pips, they had no spaces left. Callow looked at his dice and shook them. You are rubbing off on me, he said uneasily and laughed, pocketing them. Maybe if you stay around long enough, you'll rub off on me, Anders said. Speaking of which, have you met any girls yet? Callow asked. Ah, girls... "'Anders said, dismissive. "'There were always girls. "'Anders was handsome enough, "'but they could never connect, "'or he would miss a bus on the way to a date. "'How about you?' "'There are a few,' Callow said, smiling. "'I'm waiting for the right one to settle down. "'You should find one.' "'Then, looking around the apartment again, "'he fell silent. "'It was not much, "'but it was Anders's apartment.' at least for the next week, until the landlord waited while Anders went out to buy food and change the locks. Anders did not have money for rent, so the police sided with the landlord. He wondered if he might move back home. But Anders' mother was sick. All of her dice rolls had failed her. Anders's father was sympathetic, but asked that he not come home to live with him just now. She needs every opportunity she can get, he said over the phone. You understand, don't you? Anders understood. He slept in one of the parks in Midtown when he could and begged during the day. Midtown was the best spot for beggars. Low-town people could not afford to pay beggars, and high-town people could afford to pay police to get rid of beggars. Most days, all he had to do was roll his dice while people were walking past. And when they saw what he rolled, some were moved to put money in the cap that he laid on the street in front of him. But many others looked at him with superstitious fear and hurried on without glancing back. One day, he rolled his dice and a heavy booted foot stepped on them. This was a serious breach of protocol. But when Anders looked up, he saw a mountain of a man in leathers. "'Sir!' The man said, I would like to hire you for some jobs. This was so antithetical to what Anders had experienced that he could come up with no objections. So he followed the man to a local cafe and wolfed down lunch while the man explained himself. The man was named Mistral, and he spoke in a booming voice. All you have to do is stand in certain places during the day. I will tell you where and when. You stand where I tell you, and I pay you. Does that sound good? Anders could not imagine how standing still might lead to either a flood or a fire, let alone any other sort of disaster. He supposed that a vehicle might swerve to avoid him and end up crushing a group of children, but that was hypothetical. And Mistral was offering him money for something. So he said yes, and found himself at various spots in mid and high town during the day. Every evening, Mistral would give him money for the day's work and a scrawled list of where he expected Anders to stand the next day. Nobody approached Anders, and he saw nothing out of the ordinary. It was like the job he'd seen some men and women doing in Hightown, imitating statues, except that nobody paid attention to him. Although he was not rolling his dice in public, something about the way he stood and the clothing he wore led people to walk around him at a fair distance. "'I don't know what he has in mind,' he said to Callow via video call. "'But there's something odd about the whole business.' Anders had rented another apartment in low, low town. It had four walls and a roof, but barely. Callow looked to be sitting in a large house with lavish furnishings, but he never made mention of it. My friend, it's money. Until you are sure there's something afoot, keep at it. Come to dinner sometime, will you? Anders asked, suddenly shy. I'll even bring something, Callow said, nodding. There was something afoot, something odd about the whole business, but it took Anders months to find out. There was construction in the spot where he was supposed to stand that day, so he stood some meters distant in an area he felt was close enough. Then he overheard a woman yelling, My carpets, they're ruined! He looked around surreptitiously and he saw what she was complaining about. The carpet seller had hung up her wares, and a wind had blown over pots of paint from a higher floor that had splashed onto them. "'You blame me?' the painter asked from above. "'Those pots were sealed, I swear. It's an impossibility!' Anders remembered that one of the many ventures that Mistral had was selling carpets. His right hand closed around the dice in his pocket, the red smoky dice. Then he turned on his heels and walked back to his apartment in Low Low Town, where Callow was to visit that night. Callow brought meat and rice and figs. Anders provided the plates and the stove to reheat the food. Under a dripping ceiling, they ate by candlelight in companionable silence for a while. He's using me as a bad luck charm, Anders said at last. Mistral the man i told you about although luck was a bad word he felt close enough to callo that he could say it in private i've heard of such things callo said shrugging there's a use for everyone i suppose anders was silent do you have another idea on how to make money callo prodded him gently still silent anders wiped a raindrop from his forehead and put down his fork callo waited then put his hand over Anders's. Old friend, do you have something to say? Anders shook his head. I think you do, Kallos said kindly. They sat in a further silence while Anders frowned and frowned. I want my portion, he said at last. Your portion, Callow said surprised. Did I not give you enough meat for supper? But Anders was not smiling. My due. That portion of happiness that I deserve, even the least of the other citizens, gets it. Callow withdrew his hand. This is unlike you, Anders. Anders nodded. I've said nothing. I've seen fires and floods and cats and rain and thunder, and I've said nothing. He gestured around the shabbier apartment. All I want... "'is enough of a portion of happiness. "'Is that too much to ask?' "'Kala was silent for a while, thinking. "'We're all at the mercy of a roll of our dice,' he said at last. "'You may never get the roll that you want. "'But do you think you can be happy regardless of fortune?' "'Anders pulled away from the table and started to clear the dishes. "'He did not answer Calla directly.' The train comes by here in a few minutes. If I don't pick up the plates, they'll shatter on the floor. You know I'll always be your friend, Callow said. Through good or bad, that will never change. But it did change. Callum met a girl named Jalen, who worked as a fellow glassblower. As he texted Anders, they had become fast friends. And then something more. He was too busy to see Anders but he thought of him often, and he wanted Jalen to meet him. But they were never quite on the same schedule, and Mistral now had Anders working some nights, so Jalen remained a story that Callow told Anders. And Anders was alone, except for the cats who visited to hunt for tuna. To his shame, Anders continued to work for Mistral. He tried other trades, other crafts, but nothing seemed to last beyond a week or so until his fortune would turn and Mistral was happy to employ him and happy to give him money for his work. One day in Hightown, Andrews stood outside an expensive restaurant and watched a bird soil the linen suit of a particularly important woman in a particularly important meeting and after that woman had left in a huff and the other woman had placed a business call, he walked to Mistral's lair in mid-high town and stood silently while Mistral counted out the money. You really don't like this, do you? Mistral asked in his booming voice. Anders gave no reply. Mistral stuffed the bills in Anders' coat pocket. My boy, he said. They're bad luck is my good luck. You are my good luck charm." Anders blushed from hearing the word luck used so many times in short order. "'I'm cursed,' he said at last. "'Cursed,' Mistral said dismissively. "'You chose a bad set of dice, and you think you're cursed. Let me show you something.' and he took his own dice, which Anders had never seen, from a pouch at his waist. They looked like real gold. They must be real gold, Anders thought, seeing Mistral weigh and heft them in his hand. The pips were diamonds, surely, sparkling in the dim light. They were like nothing Anders had ever seen. Mistral rolled them over in his hands, the light reflecting from them, illuminated his broad, coarse face. You could do anything, Anders whispered. Anything you wanted. And here I am, a common thug, Mistral said. Interesting, isn't it? Why? Mistral rolled and rolled and rolled, sixes and sixes and sixes. Every time, he said inside. Where could I find my challenge if I won every time? So you decided to be a criminal, Anders said. Businessman, Mistral cut him off. Call me a businessman, please. Anders thought fiercely, frowning. But if you roll that way every time, why do you need me? Mistral tossed the dice above him and grabbed them out of the air, then put them back in his pouch. Who says I roll them? Anders opened his mouth to say something, but nothing came out. Like I said, Mistral went on, you're my good luck charm. When all you see in the world is rain, you're missin' the sun that shines above the clouds. He coughed. Now get out of here. Musing on life is bad for business. When Anders got home to his dripping apartment, he had a text from Callow. I'm getting married to Jalen. You must come and be part of it. Bring your luck, good or bad. The date was a week hence. Anders looked up at the water slowly dripping down through the ceiling. A thought struck him, and he went outside. It was drizzling but the sun was peeking out through the clouds. He went up one flight of stairs to the door to the apartment above him. He had never been there before, and there was a jolly wreath of flowers on the door. After hesitating a moment, he knocked twice. A wide-faced woman in a brimmed hat answered the door, eyes full of mirth. "'Can I help you?' He smiled despite himself. "'Do you have problems with the rain, too?' She snapped her fingers, and he half expected a pair of dice to fly into them, but she was using her left hand. You know, I used to. You live in the same building, right? I've seen you around. She shook her head. It's the funniest thing. Used to have terrible rain dripping in here and gathering on the floor. My boy was always coughing and sneezing from the mold. Then one day, about six months ago, the water started leaking through the floor, and now it goes right past us. "'Anders nodded slowly. "'Yes, of course. "'My name's May,' she said, "'pulling out a stout hand that Anders shook. "'Do come up for tea sometime,' something occurred to her. "'Where does your rain come from?' "'He shook his head. "'It really doesn't matter.'" Callow and Jalen's wedding was surprisingly low-key for their station in life, but Callow had never been one for ostentation, Anders knew. He had not been chosen to be best man, and he was somewhat relieved that he would not have to worry about losing the ring or making a mess of the speech or something even worse. Calo smiled warmly at him, and Anders smiled back. Jalen was a solid, beautiful woman with frizzy red hair and freckles. Anders could only judge her by the fact that Calo had chosen her, which meant she was wonderful. Before the ceremony, he found himself next to an older woman who also had frizzy red hair that he took to be one of Jalen's relatives. In fact, she was Jalen's mother. She kept shaking her head, looking in the direction of the soon-to-be-married couple. "'And who are you?' she demanded. Anders explained his relationship to Callow, which seemed to raise his value in her estimation. "'Do you believe they're a good match?' she asked Anders suddenly. "'Well, of course,' Anders said, having no basis for the statement. "'Why?' she demanded. "'They... "'Love each other?' he hazarded. "'They both work as glass blowers. "'They make a handsome couple?' The woman sniffed. "'You've known Callow since he was a boy, "'and all you can say are superficial things about them.' Before Anders could object, she had stalked off. Callow glanced over at him, and Anders shrugged his shoulders. Everyone took their places in front of the altar for the ceremony. Callow's mother walked her son down the aisle, and then there was a long pause while the guests waited for Jalen's father to walk the bride down the aisle. One of the bridesmaids ran up to Callow and whispered furiously in his ear, His eyebrows went up, and then his face fell. He turned away from the guests for a second, then came back to the microphone composed. We're going to have to postpone things, I think, Callow said at last to gasps from the audience. Please, enjoy the food. Anders smiled. Leave it to Callow to break up a wedding with the simplest of explanations. Then... Anders' mind connected the dots between what had just happened and his own conversation with Jalen's mother. He stood abruptly and started quickly for the exit. He nearly made it when he felt a strong grip on his left shoulder. Please stay, Callow said. Anders could not meet his eyes. I need a friend right now, Callow said. Do you understand? And what then, Anders thought, looking at Callow's sad, brown eyes. Does the church come crumbling down to crush his best friend while he stood there? Would he accidentally trip Callow's employer and make him lose his job? Could he do any more to hurt him? I have always been here for you, Anders said very deliberately. Callow dropped his eyes. I saw you talking with Jalen's mother, he said. Did Something happened? Anders' right hand closed around the red, smoky dice in the pocket of his rented tuxedo. One throw, he thought. All it would take was one throw to escape the situation. But he knew how that throw would turn out. And if I told you that I was the one who did all this? Anders asked, barely audible. What then? He saw it then. The sadness in Callow's eyes, the shift from pity to compassion, and then something more. Happiness? Jalen's mother said you couldn't give a good reason why we were getting married, Callow said, moving closer to Anders. And? Anders said, wondering at his friend's presence, feeling him step forward. Callow placed a hand on the front of Anders' tuxedo. I don't think there was a good reason,' he said. "'What happens now?' Anders whispered, looking down. Callow brought his hand up and tilted Anders' chin up so they were looking at each other. "'I think you've broken your own curse,' he said, smiling. "'Your luck has finally made me happy.' Anders shook his head, uncomprehending. "'But Jalen—' "'But you,' Callow said. Is there anything more to say? No, Anders thought. And he finally understood. In a lifetime of unluckiness, in a world of chance, he had found his portion at last. And as he looked into Callow's brown eyes—those happy brown eyes—he realized one final truth. It was more than enough.
0: Ah, look at that. The storm is settling and you are free to go. Of course, you're always welcome to sit by the fire and stay a while. There are many more nights and many more stories.
1: Tonight's story was told by Joe Cruz. Find our credits, merch, and more stories at LavenderTavern.com. Interested in having your short story told at the Lavender Tavern? Submit a copy of your writing to us at www.faustiannonsense.com forward slash Lavender Tavern submissions. The Lavender Tavern is written by Jonathan Cohen and produced by Faustian Nonsense.